This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. First of all, several of you, many, a few, a couple dozen, have joined my new Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash heyqueeros. What the heck is a Patreon? Well, look, ad sales support this show. You might not know this, but the frickin' pandemic has been a piece of shit on ad sales for literally every podcast except for, like, the Daily. So congrats to Michael Barbaro and the New York Times for, like, having huge listenership. But, um... There's a, there's been a bit of a of a downturn in terms of ad sales. So Sierra, you know Sierra, she's a producer on this show. She mm-hmm. helped me set up a Patreon. Why did she help me set it up? Because I couldn't do it myself. I am from the '90s and I can barely do anything. You should have seen me when I did a Zoom show and then just held up my Instagram live via my phone to the camera on my laptop. That's not how you do anything in a professional way but it is how I did it. I do have a slight stuffy nose. I apologize. I don't know what's going on with that. I also recently got a new puppy (laughs) and I don't feel well. Her name is Ruby. There will be a photograph of her soon. Um, Anyway, patreon.com slash heyqueeros. You can call in, tell me about your life, ask me a question. I'm going to thread them all together. The call-in number is at patreon.com slash heyqueeros. You join up, you get an access to a Facebook group some episodes about the queer community that is listening to this podcast. Anyway, boy, did I do a shitty job pitching that, but I really do love myself anyway. Today's episode is a chat with my friend Liz Feldman. Liz is uh, the creator of the show Dead to Me on Netflix, a show I really love, and I think this is a great chat. So please, in joie. We were just talking about how you said you're not a morning person. And I said, yeah. I actually, I actually weirdly am a morning person. And I said, that early I said that didn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> based I, on what? I, based on I, just Well, I just feel like, general you know, well, we, we, I'm not sure if we still live in the same neighborhood, but we, we definitely did at some point. And I, yeah. I distinctly remember like just seeing your, your athletic self, just like going on a walk in the morning and like, <laughs> you know, just like. Being in in what could only be described as the exercise clothes, and yeah. um, you know, I, I think of you as just like sort of a get up and go kind of person. I don't know, that might just be sort of my projection of you, but it's perhaps. accurate. Thank it's you. Accurate. Yeah, yeah. That's, what my, a great job you've done. <laughs> I am a nighttime gal. I'm not a morning person. So, um, so yeah, sometimes I do have to be a morning person. We when we're shooting the show. It's a real early. That's morning. what I was going to ask. Yes, it's a very early morning. It's like it's a oftentimes like a five thirty wake up, and you know what I do is uh, uh, fake it until I wake. Right. It. Yeah. <laughs> that that makes all the sense in the world. Um, 
I actually should, you know, I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Of course. Um, my name is Liz Feldman. Nailed it. <laughs> Liz, I, I, um, um, I'm going to, um, for this introduction, I'm going to eschew labels and just, and just give hmm. my name. Yeah. Well, maybe then I'll, maybe then I'll, this is kind of fun because I actually feel like I can uh, do like a, also just full, full disclosure for the listeners. I very three days ago, I very three days ago got a new puppy and she is whining in her crate. And she's, I'm she's also very cute. It. She's, she's really extremely cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, she's a baby. She's a baby dog. Um, so we're going to see how that goes. Anyway. A moth um, by the way. Thank you. My, Thank my, you. both my sister uh, and her family and my brother and his family, they both got dogs during this time. And I can see that it provides a great deal of joy. And we could all use more of that in these times. Yeah. You know, also, I mean, I haven't been home this long in 15 years, you know, like home in one city for, for 15 years. And, um, my previous dog, my ex-spouse sort of did the early training stuff because I was on the road mm. and they were not yet um, touring. So I think that for me specifically, it's like I felt like there was a weird dog biological clock where I was like, <laughs> this is never going to happen again. I mean, like for two years, you know, I might be home, but I'm probably not going to have a two-year stretch like that in yeah. huge. Um, yeah. And it's important. You got to be, you got to be home with the baby. Yeah. Seize the dog. They always say. They do um, often say that. Liz, I feel like, so the, I first saw you doing this just out, which was like <laughs> a web series. Mm -hmm. yep. Were we even using that phrase at the time? I feel like it was like, Believe it was it literally not. like, it was a vlog. It did start yes, it as the word I was, vlog. I knew, um, I knew it was something else. It's a beautiful word, and it really flows yes. right off the the tongue. Just so graceful. The vlog. Yes, I did. A, yes, it was a it, it was a vlog, and I started that in two thousand eight. Before, uh, right? Before a lot of people were doing things like that, I guess. What was happening in your life in two thousand and eight? Because I, I know some of this stuff about you that I think is. A little bit unusual because you're still like a normal young human age person, but you've been working in a writing capacity for a really long time. So yeah, I've been a I've been a comedy professional for for many many years, um, and I say that because it's sort of a an umbrella term for that yeah, kind comedy of encompasses all, all all the things. Uh, I started as a stand up when I was 16 and did that for many years. Um, and always really, you know, thought of myself as a performer first. But of course, when you do stand up, you write jokes, and you know, it is a, it is a, a sort of. It starts with the with the writing, and then I started uh, writing professionally, uh, just right out of high school on a show called All That, which which was on Nickelodeon. And uh, I love this credit, by the way. It's a hilarious credit. Uh, I, you're well, the it only wasn't person I know who has this credit. I loved that <laughs> show. What a great show. Yes. Uh, 
Yes. Behind the scenes, different story, but, um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I've you talked mean, about that on others. Really? Yes. You mean somebody? Yes. Well, well, you're also a, a, a child, a human yes, child. Yes, I was, I was quite literally a human child. And, but I always really wanted to work in this business. I, I just wanted to be an entertainer, um, from like, you know, day one. And so, um, by 2008, you know, I was working as a television writer. I was, uh, a, also a performer. Um, you know, I had, I had been doing stand up. I had been doing, you know, sketch comedy. I did the groundlings, uh, for five and a half years, which is and, a theater here in Los Angeles for anybody that doesn't know what you're talking about. Yes, and all that is a sketch show. I just wanted to mention, I just realized that yeah, these things, yes. I know these things like Yes. Very dearly. Yes. So stand-up, sketch, improv, that was sort of my mm-hmm. background. I really, you know, my dream was to be on SNL. In in 2008, I tested for SNL. Um, and I don't want to ruin it for you, I didn't get it. And, but in many ways, not getting SNL changed the course of my life because um, about less than six months later, I got together with my wife. And had I been in New York doing that show, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to fall in love with such a wonderful, perfect person for me. So I do look at things like uh, sometimes the, the, the death of the dream is the birth of another. Um, so so in 2008, you know, I was I was working as a as a writer and kind of writing pilots for TV, which is like when you kind of come up with an idea, sell that idea, and then they pay you to write a script. And so that was sort of my job. And I was also a stand-up at the time and <laughs> weirdly doing these vlogs for After Ellen uh, that recapped the L word. And mm-hmm. I then, uh, they sort of came to me and said, you should do your own thing. You know, what would you want it to be? And I said, well, I think I just would want it to be like a show that makes people feel good about being gay. And that's what this just out was. Uh, and I did it on and off for 10 years. I have been on an episode of this show. I just realized you that. have, you have been because on an episode of the show. I, I, I don't know why I forgot that. Cause I still think of it as something that I have watched, which is cute. That's cute. That Look is cute. Her. You, you watched it, but you're also on it and people watched you on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you are well, actually also, one of my last guests. Um, oh my God. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think cause when you peak, yeah, I mean, where am I going to go up. after Cameron Esposito? <laughs> that's a get. That's a big get. Yeah, that's right. when you retire. So, I mean, this is also, I guess I want to, there's a couple other things I just want to mark here, because at the time that you were doing this show for After Ellen, that was a really different site. And I just say that because we might have like younger oh, listeners yeah. mm-hmm. who um, have heard that phrase in a uh, trans exclusionary or that that website is now it's now it, it's now a trans exclusionary website yeah um, i think it's important which sucks that it has it has changed ownership i think more than once in the it's time. changed multiple times it went yeah. from like you know it was it was humans um and then it was like a major corporation then it was a bigger major corporation and right. now i think it is i think it's humans again but those people are um shitty those people are shitty yeah, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't. View. I don't know them personally. I'm not going to comment on them personally. But I will say that the 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 show stopped being affiliated with After Ellen uh, a long, long time ago, and so the last few seasons that that um, people can watch were just my own 
show that I put up on YouTube. So, um, you know, it's it's a shame when anybody's excluded from anything is all I'll say. I would never be, I would never want to be associated with um, a grouper or even a slew of people that um, excludes any other grouper slew. (laughs) That's why I wanted to market because I remember, you know, I remember when I was first watching the show, it was, it was a different thing. It was on a different thing that was a different thing. Yeah. Um, But, but you and I met through like friends of friends. And I think at that time, like I was working as a standup and you were working as a television writer. Um, And in the time since then, you have created a couple of shows um but your current like massive hit show is dead to me um and you smiled when i said massive hit does it feel like that does it feel like it's well, a massive hit well i mean it's a it, it uh I, it's fun to hear it put like that i mean i, I mean i yeah. think it's actually uh irrefutable which is okay. also great you know i think uh yeah so dead to me is on netflix and <laughs> stars christina applegate and oh my god, I I was up all night with my dog. But her name is please help, please help. Oh, the of this show. Linda, Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Cardellini, yes. Oh my yes. god, how did I do that? The but, great, um, the great Linda Cardellini. Mm-hmm, yes, and uh, I think this. I mean, like I said, I think it's been sort of an irrefutable success. And I also know that well, thank for somebody you. that yeah, congratulations. It's Thanks. you know, it's well deserved. It's a great show. Thank you. And so I, much. I also. You know, hear you saying that um, you tested for um, SNL in 2008. And then I think, like, maybe did the show launch in 2018 or 2019? Uh, the, the, the Dead to Me show? Yeah. Um, I think it launched in 20... That's a great question. I think it actually premiered in 2019. But I, I came up with it in 2017. Yeah, yeah. We've got about like a 20 year span here where I know you were having, um, I know you were, I know you were having lots of work. I know you were, you know, successful and part of the industry, but it does feel like from the outside that this was sort of your show that positioned you in the forefront. Like you're the person that is like, you know, as opposed to being on somebody's staff, this is like your show. Um, does that feel accurate as a, you know, sort of. Yeah. You know, um, it's definitely, I think the first thing I've ever done that's been received in, in such a sort of, I don't know, positive and, um, yeah, just a positive way. And yes, I've definitely been, um, a writer on many other people's shows and been associated with other comedians and things like that. Uh, but yeah, this I think is the first time I've, I've created something that somehow broke through, you know, and, and, and connected with, with a mass audience, which is really validating because it's kind of a weird show and not really on paper, what you would think would be the thing that like a comedian would break through with, you know? Oh, I mean, I want to come back to that in a second, but, um, okay. Or actually, maybe I'll just ask now, why do you, why do you think it's not the thing a comedian would break through with? I'm just curious about that uh, statement. Well, I think because when you start as a writer, especially a joke writer, which is how I started, and then a sketch writer, and then, you know, I wrote for Ellen for many years, again, writing jokes and bits and things like that. 
And the natural progression for like a joke writer, at least in my kind of, I don't know, paradigm is like you would then write for like multi-camera sitcoms, which is what I did because they're very joke based shows. You know, it is a setup punchline kind of formula. And so having a background as a joke writer really lent itself to, to writing on shows like that. They're broad comedy, you know, they're going for the laugh. And so I did that for so many years and it's really easy, especially, um, especially as a writer to get sort of boxed in, you know, to genres and, you know, you're sort of thought of as one thing and it's because, you know, somebody's looking at your credits on IMDb and they're going, Oh, well, she's a sitcom writer. And so uh, perhaps it was like my own kind of my own trap that I put myself in, but I think, you know, it was, it was just easier for me to keep sort of writing on shows like that and trying to sell shows like that. And so I think I sort of surprised myself in a way when I came up with the idea for Dead to Me because I knew that I didn't want it to be like that. I knew I didn't want it to just be like set up punchline and just, you know, funny, funny for funny's sake. I wanted to really try to say something and try to um, have the show be about something that's important to me, something that would reflect what I was going through emotionally. And that's a bit of a stretch, you know, and it's just not something that you necessarily associate with comedies that you see on TV. I think people watch comedies on TV to just laugh and like escape. And um, so I think, I think I was just surprised that so many people kind of hooked into the, the more, I don't know, like um, grounded emotional version of comedy that I tried to make this show be. You know, I mean, I hear your surprise. Like I, I really do. Um, I, it's interesting. I wonder if there's any, if we have any commonality on this. I like, I, so I had a book, I had my first book come out during this pandemic and it was a total, um, weird disaster where like, I'm so sorry, think, by the way, I, I, I was, I was listening, I've listened to, uh a bunch of your podcasts and I, I listened to one, I think that was right around that time. And I just, I really feel, I really feel for you and that it's such a huge endeavor to write a book and then to have it not kind of get to have its moment is like, I know, I know what that feeling is. And, and I'm sorry that, that you didn't get to have your moment with it. And congratulations on writing a book because it's a really hard thing to do. Oh man. Thank you, Liz. You know, I think the thing that, that I was going to say, which is like stunning to me is that, um, you know, in the past two years in my life, I have had so many, I've had so many big things happen that I think some that people knew about, some that people didn't know about. And I've been operating for such a long time as this sort of like, um, open book about events person. Mm -hmm. Like that's, if you're a comic, you're like, you know, you're juggling or whatever. It's the right. SNL, ver it's the SNL version of like my personality, right? Where I just like come on in a wig, um, but right. the wig is my actual haircut. Um, but right. anyway, <laughs> that's but, just um, specific to you. But yes, yes, which then eventually <laughs> did actually become a wig that AD Bryant wore on SNL. That's, that's all. That's neither here nor there. But um, you know, then it's like I got to a point sort of in my adulthood. And I think a lot, I think my queerness actually has a lot to do with this because like, you know, early 
in my life, earlier in my life, trying to warm up the people around me. It's like, I literally was my own warm up comic to be like, <laughs> I'm not sure how you feel about me, but like, what about these things, you know? And then I just sort of got to this place where it's like, I have so much going on. I kind of can't keep that up anymore. And I just, I, mm. I just hear that a little bit in what you're talking about, where it's like, yeah. then you make this shift to like, all right, well, here's the real stuff. Like, here's the real me. Here's like who I actually am as a person. And I had an experience like that when I was um, doing a, a panel for the for my book launch that was just like on early Zoom, and I was, you know, having a zillion technical difficulties, and I was saying like, I'm sorry, this isn't funny or something like that. Mm. And there was like a public chat open and a bunch of the people that were watching said, she thinks we like her because she's funny. Mm. And they were all like talking back and forth, but I could see wow. it. And I was like, well, this is <laughs> bonkers. Yeah. Um, but wow, I, I totally, I relate oh. to that. I really yes. relate to that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course. I mean, anybody that's, you know, uh, uh, you know, starts as, a, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can still wear the moniker or comic, but like, you just are, if you are that, you are that. and. Anybody who starts in a career, you know, in comedy does so for a reason. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, it is because we think that's what we're here for. Yes. You know, we think that we're here to make people laugh. And we think, you know, we're here to make light. And, um, you know, that is something I really enjoy doing. And I think it's something that you really enjoy doing. And it is 100% where I thought I drew my worth from. Yes. You know, and that it's very sort of revealing, I think, and that's to the point of like the surprise that I that I got from from doing Dead to Me is that like, oh, I I might just be more than that. And I if I allowed myself to be open and vulnerable and just to, to sort of go past the joke, you know, what's underneath the joke is also just as relatable and likable as the joke itself very shocking for me to realize this at all. Like <laughs> I truly put so much of my, but you know, anybody who's listening who like doesn't have our um, specific career path, I do think there's like some, I do think there's some queerness here in the idea of putting a self forward oh, yeah. that, that people can grasp you know and maybe straight people <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> well, I mean you know i think, I think we all for do sure to some straight degree, people. yeah but you know even with that being true the like you know the intersection of um identity and created identity you know when you have to do so much work creating your identity i think it can get easy for me to get lost in wait what are the things that make me palatable or like what are the things that make me likable or what are the things that like to use your word which i really relate to valuable yeah um, yeah it's uh i mean you know i also think um i think we probably share this in common too which is that we're a bit overachievery and <laughs> that is definitely what do you mean <laughs> huh yeah wait who, um <laughs> that is definitely i i think a a very queer thing you know um and I've thought a lot about this, you know, when looking back at how I kind of became the the gal I am. And it's, you know, you you feel like you need to be a collection of of achievements because you need to be able to look to things to say, well, look, well, I did this and I did that and I 
gotten to this school or I won that award or whatever it is so that people will appreciate you, love you, think you're worth something. Uh, because I think when you grow up, especially in the generation that I'm in, I think we might be in the same generation. I can't remember what our age difference is. But, you know, I, I'm a 43-year-old woman, and, and certainly growing up, it was not okay to be gay. So I definitely had to construct another identity that was okay, you know? And so I think that yeah. identity becomes the sort of overachievery, you know, I'm going to make it in Hollywood uh, identity. <laughs> yeah. We're, you know, it's funny. We're, we're five years apart, but I think that like, I think that if I was 36, mm -hmm. that I would maybe have like a completely different, I just noticed this. It's like the mm -hmm. micro generation. We're in the same micro generation yes, of yes. people. Um, and I think a lot of that is that the, that I graduated college and then marriage equality happened literally mm -hmm. that same week. And I just think I think there's like an, another micro generation started after yeah. that happened, but yeah. I, I totally, you know, understand what you're talking about because we are, we're like, we're peers. We're in the same group, um, which is something that fascinates me. The idea that, that like, you know, and also if you were, you know, three years older, you might have a totally different experience too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to give you perspective, like when I was in high school, there was not one out of the closet person, you know, there was not one out of the closet teacher. And I think Me too, but I went to Catholic high school. You went to Catholic high school. I mean, I did, you know, I did go to a private school in New York city, mm -hmm. but like, you would think, I don't know, like you'd think it's New York city. Like, you know, you, seem to be a progressive place but so wait, you know in the 90s not so much so then you graduate from high school you were working at all that you're already aware of your identity or so you're, you're understanding your identity as you're also launching your professional career yeah i think that's probably more accurate the latter rather than the former i i definitely started to know that i liked girls when i was around 16 um, but I'd also like really liked boys. Like I, I just, I liked liking people. Um, and you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of those, um, girls who always knew, I didn't always know at all. Like it was like a total discovery to me. Um, I, I'm a people person, so I just like, I like to connect to people. So I always had a boyfriend or, you know, at least a guy that I was hanging out with until I met a girl when I was 16 and um, definitely something shifted in me where I was like, oh, this is uh, different. And then I went back to, this was like sort of at a summer uh, program that I went to. And then when I went back to high school, the school I just described where nobody was out, you know, I immediately, you know, went right back in um, to myself, to the closet. And it wasn't for at least another I don't know, like six months to a year that I even mentioned it to a friend, you know, like I was like totally secret town about it. And, um, and then my, when I was 17 and I've told the story a, a bunch, but when I was 17, right at the beginning of my senior year of high school, my mother kind of approached me in a really weird way, which only my mother could. Um, my mother is like a super woo woo artist, poet lady and literally um 
one day I came home from sleeping over a friend's house and she said, there's a letter on your bed. It's from me. <laughs> and I was terrified because I was, uh, I was a bit of a, a, a rebel, a bit of a punk, but not like a punk punk, like just sort of like a, a rule breaker. And I, I bad was smoking seed. cigarettes. I was a bit, Ooh. I was like a, not a bad seed, but I was, uh, <laughs> definitely a nonconformist and definitely uh. like, definitely like the, the girl who smoked cigarettes and pot and was doing things I wasn't supposed to do. And I figured I was in trouble for something like that. The long story short of it is that my mother had written me two poems, <laughs> one of which was from the point of view of a, of a daughter talking to her mother, the poem rhymed. And it said something to the effect of like, I don't know what to say when a girl walks by my way. I think I might be gay. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> True. What a dream. The, what oh a my, dream. Really? Or a full-on <laughs> uh, nightmare if you're 17 <laughs> and don't want to fucking talk about it. Absolutely. And then the next poem was the mother talking to the daughter, also rhyming, saying something to the fact of it, it, it's all right. We'll get through it. I love you but rhyming. And, you know, I just didn't know what to say. I was like, totally not ready to talk about it. I was still processing the whole thing for myself or perhaps not processing it, trying to, to stuff it down. And I just sort of turned to her and I said, you're very perceptive. <laughs> and it was just this very weird moment. And um, yeah, and I, I, you know, it was, it just became sort of a, a thing that she forced to happen. And in some ways, I'm grateful for that. In other ways, I, I always wonder what my path would have been if I could have just sort of found my own way with it. But yes, yeah, certainly by 18, I, I definitely knew that I was uh, at least partially gay and uh, not at all ready to use the term, um, but definitely knew it. And so when I went to work at all that, I, I, was, I, I was aware of it, but certainly not presenting it. And uh, that sort of became a very weird situation because my boss, which I sort of alluded to earlier, um, I was the only female writer. I was just a month out of high school. And, you know, he definitely took a, let's call it a liking to me. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is terrible. Yeah. How long did yeah. you work in that environment? How long were you? Uh, I just for one season, and yeah, that's, um, I mean, certainly enough. There's no, there's that's certainly terrible. enough. Uh, but I didn't even understand really what was happening because I was so young, so naive. I had never had a job, so to understand like the dynamics of sexual harassment, like it was just yeah. over my head. So um, yeah, so it was it was interesting, and I I do wonder like what it have had been like, what it would have been like, pardon if if I was out of the closet, but that just kind of wasn't an option in 1995. It's just, I wouldn't have gotten the job. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. I also, you know, I personally am of the opinion that, um, that people like that, um, that it can be an attractant. I mean, I, I know, right. I, yeah. I had an experience, um, within the last calendar year mm. where like, I, um, 
And this is like so fucking intense. But I, I like, I, I got hit on, um, by somebody not hit on. No, that's not the right thing. Harassed. I get sexually mm. harassed <laughs> by somebody I met in a support group. Um, wow. Yeah. Like, so I'm like dealing with divorce. I'm like joining a support group. There's a dude who like, you know, has some time in this group and I'm like, okay, well, this is somebody who can like, you know, um, provide, you know, experience, strength and hope around how to get through this. And instead it's somebody who can provide a weird late night phone call. And, um, and I just say this because like, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm a full adult woman. Like mm-hmm. this is what I look like. I'm openly talking about like there's no there's no confusion. There's no confusion. Right. <laughs> there's no so 1995 or today. There's no confusion. I do think that people who um, want to be predatory, um, that can be part of it. You know. Yeah. No, you're totally. Is right. that like the idea that that there's that extra transgression? It's like, oh, well, I'm already transgressing. What if that was worse? You know. And I and I so I think that that's something that. Um, no, you're totally right. And I, and if I really, if I think about it, it's certainly, I've had, I've had many, many encounters with, uh, men who, uh, take no heed of the fact that I'm obviously a lesbian and married. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's not the point. Cause it's not actually about sex or availability at all. Exactly. Um, it's about garbageness and intimidation, um, which is, which is crappy and power. So I want to, I'm also thinking, you know, because you said, you know, like nobody's out and, you know, all this, I want to talk about, I'm also imagining that testing for SNL in 2008, I think that it's like kind of easy to forget that like, I think Kate McKinnon joined in like 2012, Mm -hmm. Bowen Yang joined, Mm -hmm. you know, a year ago or whatever. Um, I think that we can feel that there that that's a place where there has been queerness um but it's also you know that's a place where there have been where there has been previously it's pat which is you know something yeah. that julia sweeney yeah. apologized for but this sort of like um agender character that the joke is that it's an agender character yeah um and like that's really the history of that place so i'm curious emotionally what it would have been like to show up in a place like that because i know for me like I mean, I showed up in Los Angeles, the city being like, there is no place for me here. Like, that's how mm. I felt when I moved here in 2012. Mm. Um, yeah. And, if, and, I, and I was surprised. I think actually that was a little bit of a different time in 2008. But I'm curious what you're, what that felt like. You know, I, to be honest, I, I don't think I looked at it through the prism of my gayness. You know, I, I, I was so excited to finally get the opportunity it was such a dream come true um and to be fair i had been at the groundlings uh years before which has a very similar kind of vibe to snl where they're i don't think to this day they've had a lesbian in the main company um that doesn't make them bad people it's just not the most inclusive environment and even at the Groundlings, where I was in Sunday Company performing every week, I often tried to create or present like a fun sort of lesbian character, something that reflected more, you know, of like my 
uniqueness, something I could bring from my from my experience. And I was always sort of shut down, you know, by the director, whoever was putting the sketches together. So I was sort of used to compartmentalizing that part of myself in mm. my in my sketch career. Right. So I don't even think it was like, you know, part of my thinking of of the you know what it would be like to work there. I just was excited <laughs> to to have the opportunity. Um and you know looking back again, you know, it really truly like even the things that didn't happen in my life that really broke my heart at the time ended up being gifts for me, you know, and, and like I said, like not, not getting that show, which I thought would be the end all be all of my life really led to the end all be all of my life, which is Rachel Cantu. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have, yeah, you have an awesome wife. I do have an awesome wife. I almost introduced myself. I almost introduced myself when you said, when you said, you know, every guest introduced, I was going to say, uh, my name is Liz Feldman. I'm a wife. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, well, that's, it's especially like, you know, given what we're going through in this moment of dystopian um, nightmarishness, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, she's the, she's the person, she's the port in the storm, you know, so I am so grateful to to be her wife. Wow, that's awesome. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I have like an opportunity because of this show to have, you know, serious conversations with folks who are um, like younger than us. Mm. And I do think that we've gotten to this point of like a it's 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 like rad. I'm into it. But um, the the pendulum swing back from like marriage, everybody's getting married tomorrow to like Mm -hmm. nobody's getting married ever. Like or Mm. if we are married, all of them are open, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) we've we've, uh, certainly gone in that direction too. And I, and that's chill. Like every iteration should be celebrated and explored. And like, I love it, but I do think that there are definitely married folks who listen to this show and, and um, many recent folks that I've um, talked to, are married but i'm trying to think if we talk about it like you just did mm. i don't know did you always know you want to be a married person <laughs> you know i think and i think I've, I've heard you talk about this on this very show like coming from a generation that is denied such a basic human right really 
I think highlighted for me the mm-hmm. the I don't know sort of the aspiration of it you know and I come from divorced parents so it's not like I thought marriage was this great construct that is infallible and you know something to be emulated <laughs> because my parents you know did not have like the greatest marriage and then why didn't you tell me that <laughs> I'm just kidding Let's get... I truly did my friend I truly thought marriage is the best and the easiest. Really? Yeah. No, it's not. So it's weird. Like it's not. It's not. I mean, like my my parents only got divorced when I was like in my mid twenties. So I mm. definitely saw it as like a thing that you do. You do. You do marriage, whether it's good or not. You know. Yeah. And then I think because it because it was a a right denied because it was something I was not allowed to do. And I think honestly because I am kind of a nonconformist. And when you tell me. I can't do something. Uh, totally. I Yes. I just want to fucking do that thing. So I, um, <laughs> I always pu- joke the, about the fact. Sorry. The punk rock element. of Yes. It's of, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, fuck you. I'm going to get married. You know, <laughs> and um, I'll register you know, it, with the government. Yes. Yeah. You can't tell me I can't register with the government. Yeah. That's right. It's, I want to file joint taxes. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, so, so I think, you know, it's weird. Like I never, I never fantasized like the wedding. I never dreamed about myself walking down the aisle. I obviously didn't picture myself in a dress. It's not like I kind of idealized marriage, but it was certainly something I, I felt really bad about not being able to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and certainly thought it was worth fighting for. And it, it really wasn't until I started dating Rachel that I could even see getting married. So it was like a month into dating her. Uh, I remember I was in New York on the subway visiting family and like a song came on and I weirdly like had this, it was a Decemberist song. I think it might've been Crane Wife and I could just see us getting married. And it was such a weird thing. I had never like thought about that with any other woman I had dated. And I just started crying on the subway because I was like, oh, my God, like, I think this is the woman I'm supposed to marry and I'm not allowed to. And that's a really painful feeling. And I think I had a lot of um, I had a lot of pain around not being able to do it. It was really hurtful to Mm. be excluded from this thing. I think also so many of my friends and I love and cherish them are are heterosexual women. And I think by that point I had probably been like a bridesmaid like maybe 10 times and to keep having to do that and not be able to do it yourself it just felt kind of cruel and and unfair and sad so um to finally be able to 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 get married was was an incredible thing and I'll have you know that we didn't wait for it to become legal because at a certain point I was like fuck you Always a bridesmaid, illegally a bride. That's true. <laughs> yes, yes. Although I will say we got married uh, in May of 2013 and six weeks later, Prop 8 was overturned. Well, thank you for doing that. For <sighs> kicking... Turn the tide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you were talking about having a bunch of straight friends and that actually is perfect because the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is... You know, because you said that... that your show comes from a personal place. I think something that 
that does really stand out to it. And it's not the, it's actually really interesting because I also think about like, you know, Insecure was, has been doing this really well and people are mm-hmm. talking about it. And so um, I May Destroy You. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and what I'm going to get to is friendship. Um, mm. Because I remember when I was watching Orange is the New Black and um, look, it is early in the morning and I have a new puppy. I cannot remember. Alex, I was to say, what is Laura Prepon's character? But uh, <laughs> Alex and um, Natasha's <laughs> Nikki. Alex and Nikki are uh, two queer people who are, are both prisoners. They're both they're both incarcerated. Yeah, um, and they also are like maybe the same gender or close to each other, and. I think they even hook up once. I'm trying to remember, but but it's this show that ha- where they have a they have a friendship, and it's mm. two and they both have they're both queer identified, mm. and um, like I guess that existed in the L word, um, but it was always so the idea that all the friends would sleep together was like just around the corner, um, <laughs> and so I don't like I guess they're friends, but it just, it just had a different vibe, which is also a great vibe but um i remember seeing that in orange and feeling impacted by that feeling it was impactful because one thing that Mm. i still carry just as a human is like how am i supposed to have friends with people because not only did we not see ourselves like on tv or in culture or in books Mm -hmm. you know married like you're talking about or not married but partnered or you know single we didn't see ourselves at all we also didn't see ourselves like having friends right so like i guess will and grace like I guess they're friends, but like, that doesn't look like my life. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> there's not like explicit, there's definitely a queer vibe on your show <laughs> where maybe the two main characters are in love with each other as friends. And I don't know what end game is going to be there, but, but like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of confusion about whether or not they will sleep together in the episodes that I've seen. And I just want to say that that is unusual to see, like mm. for women, for characters that have any amount of queerness. We don't, I mean, there's always, there's always been like a generational, you know, there's the show Girlfriends or something like that. But I think we've, we've had a big gap in yeah. seeing what our lives could look like outside of like this sort of the friends group of friends where right. it's like a big smashed up group that's constantly dating each other but like yeah and you know intimacy between women yes exactly and that's what it is i think that's what it boils down to is it is intimacy um i think i didn't realize until making this show that my experience with my friends was unusual uh and i think that what i've discovered by kind of dramatizing the kind of friendships I have is that is that people often sort of misinterpret it, kind of. And I have been incredibly lucky in my in my life to have amazing female friends that are just that. They're just my friends. And many of them are straight, some of them are queer, you know, some of them are identified as lesbian or, you know. All, all along the spectrum. And certainly maybe in my younger years, there was um, 
every once in a while, a little bit of confusion of like, do I like this person or, you know, are we just friends? But, but I have had for over 25 years at this point, a group of female friends that there's never been any confusion. It's just what it is. It's just really close friendship and it's affectionate and it's loving and it's unconditional. You know, these are, these are not women I've had falling out, fallings out with. These are not like, we don't fight. We're just really good friends. And I really wanted to show that in this show. I wanted to almost sort of write this as like a love letter to those, to those women in my life. And one of whom is a writer on the show. Uh, My friend, Kelly Hutchinson, we were roommates in college, you know, and she's, She's straight, she's married to a a man, and we've just never had any blur in that friendship. It's just, it's almost like we're sisters, you know? It's more of that kind of relationship. And it was really interesting because when the show came out and people were watching it, I was actually really kind of surprised at how many people read into that relationship, this queerness. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm gay. And so maybe, you know, maybe it's just sort of in the water or something. Um, but what I wanted to sort of illustrate with, with Jen and Judy is like that, that friendship can be really intimate. And I do think that there is a romance to friendship. There can be, I should say, a romance to friendship. Romance doesn't mean we're going to end game. It doesn't mean, I don't even know if I've mm-hmm. used that term right. That's a new term to me, the whole end game thing. I was like, I didn't even understand that when I started to read tweets with that word in it. I was like, hmm? um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I'm an older gal. And, um, and I, I get it. I understand the, 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 the desire to have them, you know, be together, I guess, in that way. But um, truly, this is a show about friendship. And amongst other themes, but, but I wanted to show that like, you can have intimacy with another person. You can have real, like deep love with another person and it, and it doesn't have to be sexual. You know, um, I get so much out of my friendships with the women in my life and it, and it's something that just adds, you know, texture to my life. It adds, it adds depth. And it's, it's also something that I think probably in some ways um, contributes to my marriage being so good because I'm not depending on my wife for every single emotional need that I have. You know, I can sort of spread it out a little bit. Um, right. Yeah. Well, you know, how to say this? Yeah. I think that I think that some of what people are identifying, which is something I have in my life, is that friendship, my experience with friendship, is that there is often the same type of complementarity that we see most often depicted on screen or like talked about in relationships, right? Like usually, even if you like, even if your even if your closets look the same, um, there's uh my experience with dating has been that there's always a bridge between us. Like, here's you, here's me. We're not the same person. There's a bridge. Um, 
And it's that bridge of difference that like provides the attraction. I mean, that's, that's how, you know, I'm somebody who's dated like people that I think would be perceived way more masculine than me, people who I think would be perceived to be way more feminine than me, whatever those words mean. Like I have many, I've like dated people that look many different sorts of ways, people that are read by the world in many different sorts of ways, but there's always a complementarity. Like where I'm this, they're that. And I, that I experienced that in my friendships too. And because we don't necessarily talk. So there is like a, especially friends when it's not necessarily just a group, but if you're just core good friends, you and this other person, like even when there's a group together, when you, when the two of you are separate, you like, you know, you lock in in this certain complimentary, complimentary way. Um, and I think especially when that's somebody who's a straight person or when it's, you know, somebody who's a gay person. Um, I think that sometimes we can be, <laughs> I think that like women are sexualized enough that that can be pretty confusing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And people that are perceived to be women or, you know, that are socialized as women um, in some way also. Yeah, I just think it's, I think that we're navigating walking, you know, through the world with people. I don't know, thinking it's hot if we talk to each other. Of course, course people want these two characters to make out with each other because they're both likable, you know, but what you're talking about, like what the vibe between them is that they complement each other. And that's something I know from my own friendships. I guess that's a very long way of saying that. I don't know if that's true for your friendship. I know. Yeah, I think that they complement each other and they do have a commonality. You know, their commonality Mm -hmm. is that they've both experienced a lot of loss in their life and felt a lot of loneliness around that, that loss. And there is a bond that can happen between people who share in, you know, some people call it trauma bonding, but I think there's sort of a negative connotation to that, which, you know, is that this is sort of a temporary bond to get you through this moment. And I, I would say that, you know, for example, like, you know, I've had struggles with fertility and like a lot of loss in that arena. And, you know, I have certain friends who have gone through that too. And we have an understanding with each other that would be very difficult for for anyone else to have with us. And I really wanted to show how powerful that can be. And at the same time, they also have a commonality in, in their senses of humor. Like they're just funny people and they joke about things in the same way. And that's my experience with my friends as well. We just, even when things are at their darkest, we make the sickest jokes about it, you know? And um, yet at our cores, we are very different people. We are, there is a polarity there. And, you know, I think it's, it's totally understandable that people, I mean, I do the same thing when I'm at home watching a show, you know, that I'm, I'm not involved with. If I see two attractive women, you know, I, (laughs) I am definitely known to say make out, you know, I mean, I totally, I, of course I totally get it. And listen, listen, you never know, but you know, I, 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 I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't get your hopes up on that one. Well, I love, I love what you're talking about, about, um, and thank you for talking about the, and mentioning the, your own struggles with fertility. I know, I, I know that that, you know, when that showed up in the show, I was, I was like, my, because I, I I know that about about you and and your wife, and so I was I was thinking, ah, oh, this is like so 
great that this is in here because it's something we don't talk about very much. And I thought, I know there's people watching that like really need to see this. And also, um, you know, huge shout out to, I guess just, you know, in speaking about the show, but also speaking about like humans. So it's like such a great way to sort of meta talk about, but like the, Linda Cardellini does it the most, but but you can sort of see it, um, and Christina also. But like, she's doing this thing on the show where she's, it's like when she smiles, it's like terrifying. She has like a, <laughs> like a, a smile grimace because she's in so much pain. Like yeah. the way that her smile is is all is she's always she's smile. She pairs smiling with pain like that seems to be what i've identified as the one she's having like the worst time she's smiling the most which i was like that's it that's there's a stand-up comic you know um but i uh i really appreciate that um display of pain because you know i think trauma bonding is one way to talk about it i think the other way to talk about it is Trauma bonding being like, oh my God, here's what happened to me. Oh my God, here's what happened to me. But another thing is like pain identifies pain. Like I've, I'm somebody who I feel I have experienced like pain in my life and, um, and you know, not all the pain, not every pain, but I tend to find that I can, I can pick out in a room. Like it, I don't, it's like whoever I want to be friends with, there's always a moment where I'm like, oh, that, that is something you've experienced. Got it. That's why. That's why. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Because there's something to that, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a really strong bond, you know, when you can be vulnerable with somebody because vulnerability, I think is very misunderstood and it is often perceived as weakness, but it's definitely something that requires strength you know and it's it's not easy and i think when two people can be vulnerable together there is real power in that and um you know ultimately i think that's a lot of what you see on the show yeah yeah well liz we are almost um at our 60 minutes and you're gonna go work in your awesome work pod (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to go listen with rapt attention. I'm I'm perhaps too type A for a puppy. This is my girlfriend, Katie. She's walking in the background. Hi, Katie. <laughs> this is Liz. She can't hear you. She has noise-canceling headphones on. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ty- I'm too type A to have a puppy. I'm like, the puppy is sleeping fine. And I'm literally just like, wake up. Are you okay? But this is... This is a way a person can. Be. This is good. This is, this puppy. This puppy is gonna is gonna teach you um, uh, something. Patience, something. maybe. I don't know. She's we'll see. Something. Yeah. Also, like maybe um, I'm hoping that it's like trusting that if I don't fully manage the process perfectly, like she's a living creature who's gonna be okay. She's got yeah. her own protection by the universe and I don't need to be the full perfect boss for her to be awesome and rad. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping it's, for. Yes, there's a, there, I would say in in pet 
ownership as in any relationship, there's a fair amount of surrender that needs to happen. That's what I'm discussing. Yes. Surrender. Yes. 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 So before I send you back into your day, Liz, would yes. you shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today? Yes, absolutely. I I can really only think of one person that fills that title, and that is Ellen DeGeneres. Um, I think it's easy to forget that she sacrificed so much in order for people like me and you to to even be having this conversation right now. You know, I think um, she was my hero even before she came out because I just thought she was hilarious and lovable. And, you know, then in 1997, you know, she was the first person to come out and say that, you know, she was gay and she really kind of fell on the sword for, for so many of us. And um, I then got to work with her and know her as a person. And truly, she remained my hero after working for her and knowing her. Um, she's kind. She's supportive. You know, she is not perfect, but she will always be my hero. Hmm. Are you open to a follow-up question on that? <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know, Ellen. We've never met. You know, I obviously see the, I'm seeing what's playing out. And I think that's part of why, part of the context for what you're talking about and mentioning mm-hmm. is, is what's playing out um, mm-hmm. publicly, which is some, um, I don't even know what the right word is for it. Like a like an upsurge of conversation about treatment of staff behind the scenes mm-hmm. of the show for anybody who mm-hmm. is not aware. Um, and I'm sure I feel like most listeners probably on this show are pretty aware of that because yeah, because I think she's a I think she was I think she was a bullseye for a lot of people. Like I think a lot of mm-hmm. people would be aware of her. So I think. It, it, would be very few listeners that wouldn't know about this new development. And so I guess my question is like, and this is just a, a human to human question. Yeah. Because I, because I don't know um, any of the, I don't, I don't have information. I'm somebody who tends to believe that like, if things are brought up by a bunch of people, it's probably for a good reason. You know, I tend to think that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you were in that situation, you're somebody who now runs a show, mm-hmm. like what would you want to do for yourself to like, cause I think about this all the time for myself. Like I know that I am a human with flaws and blind spots. Um, and I know that there are things that I have to improve on because as a comic, like I think sometimes straight cis dude comics are like, people are telling me that my, language is offensive and i'm like well congrats if that's happened to you one time i mm-hmm. like constantly hear from my community ways that i can improve because it's a community <laughs> that's like hyper vigilant yeah, and sure. and i'm hyper vigilant too so like what would you want to do what how do you want to be in the world when you receive feedback how do i want to be in the world well you know here's what i'll speak to um 
I'm all for believing people when they have the courage and the strength to come forward with any, you know, complaint or, or truth that for them, you know, needs to be told. Um, I think, and this is actually something that I really explore, I think, on, on, on Dead to Me, is that things are always more nuanced than you want them to be. You know, it's so easy to look at any situation as black and white. But when you're inside of something, it doesn't feel, you know, right and wrong and black and white. It, it, it feels layered and complicated. And, you know, what I will say is that as a boss myself, you know, um, I'm, you know, as a showrunner, I'm, I'm very um, aware you know, of, of, of how I want the people around me to feel. I want everybody to feel safe and listened to and um, comfortable. That said, it is incredibly difficult to receive the energy of hundreds of people every day um, in, in a very specific direct manner like you do when you're a boss you know whether you're a showrunner or the you know executive producer of a talk show and it is impossible to give everybody what they need all the time and <laughs> it's it's what you want to have happen and what happens is often at odds you know and, you know, I, I, it's funny, like, like a, a couple of years ago, I realized that I wasn't making eye contact as much with, with everyone because on any given day, it is a swarm of people that have to come up to me and ask me to approve things, you know, every set, every prop, um, makeup and hair and locations. And, um, I, have a lot of energy to give, but that is almost like an impossible level. And so I found that I was like walking around set, looking down to sort of avoid contact <laughs> because it was the only time I had to myself to restore, you know, to, to save a little bit of energy for myself. And, um, it made me understand what it's like to to be a person like Ellen a little bit. You know, I mean, I'm in nowhere near that stratosphere, but it is incredibly hard to be all things to all people. And I, I often say that it would be so much easier for me in this job to be an asshole because it's really hard to, to keep your cool and your patience and your kindness at a peak level for, in our case, on the set of Dead to Me, like 14 to 16 hours a day. It's just really, really challenging. And um, I do strive to be a kind leader and someone that kind of spreads a, a positive vibe. I do not always do that. 
but I tried. And it has given me a lot of empathy for people, for people like Ellen, because it's just impossible um, to live up to what you would want to be all the time and what people would want from you. Thanks for that answer. You're welcome. It was great to talk to you. It was really, really great to talk to you. To you.